With churches in 28 countries attracting hundreds of thousands of regular attenders, Hillsong Global has become one of the most influential evangelical movements in the world. But lately, the church has been rocked by scandal, and my guest today helps explain why. Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And joining me today is Janice Legata. Janice is a writer, a spoken word artist, and a podcaster. But what's most relevant to our conversation today is that Janice was part of the team that launched Hillsong New York City. And a couple of months ago, she wrote this extremely revealing blog about her time at Hillsong, revealing this toxic underbelly of the church. If you've followed the unfolding scandal at Hillsong, you know that it started in New York with the pastor there, Carl Lentz. In November, Hillsong founding pastor Brian Houston fired Lentz for breaches of trust and moral failures. Lentz then publicly admitted to an affair, and now sources have come forward saying they reported sexual misconduct by staff members at Hillsong, New York City years ago, but nothing was done. Hillsong has launched a supposed independent investigation into what happened at Hillsong, New York City, but as you'll hear, that investigation isn't so independent. And as if this all isn't bad enough, now we have an exodus of pastors from Hillsong. Two of them, Blaze and Desiree Robertson, resigned without any announcement from Hillsong, Connecticut. Now it appears they've been hired by another church in Greenwich, Connecticut, and the Robertsons have scrubbed their entire social media accounts of any mentions of their years at Hillsong. Similarly, Reed and Jess Bogard, the lead pastors of Hillsong, Dallas, resigned earlier this month. In their brief announcement to the church, the Bogards said that 10 years of church planning had taken a toll on them and their family, and they added that they needed to transition off staff to get healthy. Friends, churches are supposed to be places where sick people go to get healthy, not places they flee to get healthy. So what's going on at Hillsong? Is the culture there so toxic that people need to leave the movement? Can it be redeemed? Or does this particular megachurch movement need to die? Well, I'm very much looking forward to my conversation with Janice today, as I'm sure you are as well. But first, let me just take a minute to thank my sponsors, Judson University and Marquardt of Barrington. Judson is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson is located on a beautiful 90-acre campus just 36 miles northwest of Chicago. For more information or to schedule a visit, just go to judsonu.edu visit. Also, if you're in the market for a car, I highly recommend my friends at Marcourt of Barrington. Marcourt is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Well, again, joining me is Janice Legata, a member of the original team that launched Hillsong New York City. She's also a prolific writer exploring themes of race, gender, and evangelical Christianity. And she's the host of a new ex-evangelical podcast known as God Has Not Given. So Janice, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let me just start by asking, because I've heard this word before, ex-evangelical, and it seems like it means different things to different people. So let me just ask you, what does ex-evangelical mean to you? So for me, it means, yeah, I'm no longer evangelical. In my my particular brand, I'm not in church, not looking to be. Mm. 
I'm not an atheist. I still do believe in God. Mm -hmm. I still very much like the Jesus story. Mm -hmm. And I like what I feel like Christianity was meant to be. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I am. I consider myself outside of it now. So I don't I don't label myself Christian. I don't label myself non-Christian. A big part of my podcast is kind of, you know, we play a game where we decide week to week whether or not I'm Christian. Hmm. Um, and either way it goes, I'm fine. So that's, that's what it is for me. And your spiritual journey, I'm guessing, had a lot to do with your experience at Hillsong. Am I right? It did, yes. We're going to dive into that, and I appreciate you being willing to talk about what happened at Hillsong. I know some of it's probably kind of painful, Although I also know that sometimes when you have these kind of experiences, talking about it can be cathartic, too. Mm -hmm. Your post, by the way, back in November on Hillsong, I just want to thank you for that. I thought it was extraordinarily well written, but it was also just really enlightening for folks like me. I mean, I, I knew of Hillsong, but really before everything broke with Carl Lentz, I just thought of it about the music and Darlene Check and that. That's mm -hmm. about yeah. All I knew. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, your post really talked about, I think, below the waterline. Okay, here's the news of what happened, but below the waterline, here's, here's the culture. And yeah. that, I think, is probably even more important in some ways than the specifics. So uh, I'm just really looking forward to diving into that with you. Before coming to Hillsong, New York City, though, and being part of this whole original launch team, you were in Sydney attending the I college. Was. Yeah. Yes. And you mm -hmm. said that you were like totally sold on the mission <laughs> back then. So explain what what did you see at that point as the mission of Hillsong? Well, the mission really was making God relevant hmm. because I grew up in church. But for me growing up, it was very legalistic hmm. and very hard to kind of bring it into your, your weekly life. felt weird. Like Christianity was like embarrassing to me when I was growing up hmm. because it was so different from, you know, the secular world. Hmm. And so Hillsong did a really good job of blending the two. So it felt like, oh, this is something I can carry throughout the week. So for me, it was just a very, very relatable Christianity very relevant. And so something that you could more easily share. And it was, you know, very attractive. Um, so it was just easier to bring people to and to get people into. So how did you end up at uh, Hillsong College in Sydney? So we knew about Hillsong through the music, you know, mm -hmm. the, the old days, the original Darlene Check. Shout All to things the Lord. are possible. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of that. So using the music in church. And then I... I was I was a musician and I love music. Mm -hmm. And so Hillsong was like a good out because it was, oh, I can combine music and church and this would be something that's okay. You know, that was something my church approved of that my mom could support. So went there, was supposed to be there for a year, ended up staying almost four and a half. Mm. And that was a great experience at the time. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Like you're 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 in Sydney and meeting people from all over the world and, you know, having your, your faith kind of revolutionized. So it was great. And so then you come to New York City, a part of this, this church plant. And at the beginning, my understanding is Carl and Laura Lentz weren't a part of it. The leaders were actually Reed and Jess Bogard. 
Um, yes. And of course, Reed and Jess have just been in the news because they just stepped down as lead pastors at Hillsong Dallas. And I'd like to ask you about what those early days were like with Reed and Jess. So I knew I knew her. I knew who they were. So when I moved to New York and they heard I was in New York, Reed called me and they, you know, talked to me about, oh, we're going to be planning this church and would you want to be a part of it? So I said, okay. Um, so yeah, so I joined their connect group. Hmm. And at first, like it was, it was great. They were, you know, trying to get people on board. So they were just really, really nice. Hmm. And Hillsong has their vision Sunday at the beginning of every February. And so when that February came up and we watched the vision Sunday presentation and they announced that part of their vision for that year would be to have the first, you know, American church and they would be planting it in New York. And I knew, I was like, oh, this is probably going to become a part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a few weeks before like they announced it and it was official, but it did become that. And then with Reed and Jess, it was just funny because it was like a a switch just got flipped. Hmm. It was like they no longer they no longer had to be friendly because they knew people wanted to be part of Hillsong. Hmm. And, you know, that was that was the draw now. And so it became very, very clear, you know, that there was going to be a leadership structure and that they were on top of it. And we were here to here to serve. So, yeah, our relationship dynamics just changed. Like, and it really was just that quick. It was just like an on and off switch. Hmm. You wrote, we were all servant leaders, emphasis on leader for them and servant for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did that play out? Like, it just practically. We would have the connect group meetings at their house and they would have us come early to help clean up their place and rearrange the furniture and, you know, set up the snacks and do all of that. And we also, you know, had to bring the snacks and, you know, oh, you guys, <laughs> we have to make sure we're doing everything with excellence. So, you know, no store brand Oreos. Can we get the real ones? Hmm. Um, and so, you know, so you're coming early to help set up. You're buying things to have the snacks and the drinks and the stuff there. And then you're staying later to clean up again and to put stuff back, you know, oh, and make sure you're tweeting about it. Make sure you're reaching out to your friends. And, you know, so it was just a list of things to do. But did it feel, I mean, I'm guessing you're, you're doing this for God and, and we are expected to serve and to serve sacrificially. But it, it sounds like from, mm-hmm. from what I got from your blog post and what you're saying now is you guys served sacrificially. But the leadership seemed to have more of an idea that you guys did the grunt work and they were above that. Is that accurate? Definitely. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I had it pretty easy in some regards um, because, like, I never or I never agreed to, like, babysit their kid. But other people did get roped into that and they would put hours into that, you know, for free, just just watching this Judah at that time. I had a conversation with somebody who wanted to remain anonymous, but told me a lot about the early days. She said is that eventually there were people on the payroll who were basically just nannies for Carl and Laura. Mm-hmm. That, so yeah. that happened for real. It did. 
Um, but I, I'm surprised to hear they were on the payroll. So let's talk about the transition when Carl and Laura came in. I mean, what explain that? So with Reed and Jess, like it was never, it was never really assumed that they were going to be the lead pastors. We knew they would be on the leadership team, but we didn't know who was going to lead the church. I knew of Carl, like I had seen Carl while I was at in Sydney. Mm-hmm. He had come like as a guest speaker, so I remembered, oh, like this this the skinny guy with this long hair that just talked. <laughs> talked and moved really fast. Um, so I remember thinking, oh, like that guy, huh? And then it was also weird to me because he was coming from Wave Church. and What's Wave Church? A mega church, like affiliated with Hillsong Friendly um, in Virginia. Okay. And so I was like, well, he's been out of like the Hillsong system for a few years. So it's strange that they would just give him this straight out of the gate. Like. <laughs> You know, it just felt like, oh, I would think they would send him back for a little bit of programming first, but <laughs> I guess, okay, but you know, he's doing it with Joel, I guess, so it's fine. Huh. Um, At that point, did Reed and Jess kind of step out of the picture? Oh, no. Like, they were still very much, like, on the ground during the day, doing the day-to-day kind of stuff, because even when Carl and Laura came, and I don't know that Carl and Laura particularly wanted it to be set up this way, but... Mm-hmm. Reed and Jess kind of immediately started putting barriers between them and the rest of us. Hmm. And it was pretty clear that they wanted everything to go through them. Like if you wanted to talk to them or have any contact with them or tell them anything like, oh, no, like we're not we don't want to bother them. So just just talk to us. Tell us. Hmm. Um, And even even like when I first met Carl, it was outside of the TBN studios when Brian and Bobby had come. And they were going on, I don't even remember, whatever the TBN show was to announce, you know, we've got our church starting in New York soon. And Carl and Laura were there. Mm -hmm. And because I had gone to the college, I knew Laura's mom. She had been one of my teachers. Hmm. And so after after the show, I was trying to go say hi to Laura's mom. And Jess like stopped, stopped me, like stepped between us and stopped me. No, no, like they're all really tired and we're not bothering them. Hmm. Um, wow. And so, and so Laura's mom saw me and called out to me. I was like, oh, hey, come meet my daughter and come meet my son-in-law. Wow. And so like I got to bypass Jess in that moment. But she was like a handler. Yeah. 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 Huh. Yeah. Wow. So and, and when Carl came. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was told this by my my source that I talked to, mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, like most of you volunteers, uh, as I understand it, you guys were pretty much dirt poor. Yeah. And Carl comes and rents an apartment for him and his family in an area of the city called Williamsburg, which was extremely pricey. Yes. And he puts the church office, which really wasn't a public office, kind of a private, like only a few people knew about it, put that in the building where his apartment was, even though that wasn't convenient for anybody because nobody else lived in this pricey neighborhood. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So there was not only disparity in roles, but there was a huge disparity in income, in lifestyle. Yeah, immediately. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't remember ever thinking, oh, this is an expensive place. Um, I actually might have thought, oh, it might be kind of cheap because it is so far out of the way. Hmm. Like, it's, you know, it was like a 10 minute walk from the train. 
Um, and, you know, just looked really industrial. You know, I had several friends who were, you know, part of the nanny team. And <laughs> the nanny team. <laughs> wow. Okay. You know, knowing how much time they were spending there and how, how they weren't getting paid. You know, like I said, it's a 10 minute walk from the train. And, you know, these girls would be leaving late at night. Hmm. And, you know, just little things like, oh, like, why are they're not driving them to the train? Like they're having them walk again through this industrial kind of area late at night. So like things, things like that were like some of the first signs of like, wait, they don't, Hmm. they're not really caring for people. So your job at this time, I'm I'm assuming it evolved over the years, but initially you were on a, a stage managing team. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And you got to be a background vocal, but with a mic, but your mic wasn't t- <laughs> wasn't turned on. Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't that was probably a a year and a half, two years in before I ascended to that. Wow, wow. Well, at least you were good looking enough to be on stage. <laughs> Just not team with a good enough voice. Is that it? Wow. <laughs> Um, so, so that, so people got put on stage for what they looked like. Is that right? I think so. There is very much a look. Well, for guys, it's different. Like guys didn't have to be particularly good looking. It was just, you know, this grungy Hmm. kind of hipster, cool kind of look. When we first started, I did want to be on the worship team. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I felt like I had a pretty good chance. But like, well, there's not that many of us here and I've been here from the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was not, you know, was not chosen for that. Like they, they put me, put me backstage. No, you can, you can do the stage managing. So I don't remember thinking at the time, oh, they're just like picking the good looking people. And I guess that's good because that would have hurt my feelings. Mm. Um, But as time went on and people, people would say that. And then I think, I think I would kind of discount it because I'd be like, no, like I made it on the team and I'm not, I'm not a model, you know. When people was, oh, my only models can be on the worship team. Well, that's not true because I'm here. So, and I know you you talk about this. There was some diversity, but not in the top leadership. It seemed to be very white male. Yeah, you're African American. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, did you ever feel like you're being put up there because this was, you know, some sort of token kind of thing, or did you feel like no, there wasn't that kind of tokenism going on there? Yes and no. Okay. I think in the beginning, not as much. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't really thinking about it. Um, it's funny now, I mean, because it's 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the past five years, I think, have become, people have become very woke and very, very aware of these things. But mm-hmm. honestly, the racial dynamics did not even really occur to me, probably until year three. And you moved into ghostwriting emails, ghostwriting portions of sermons. Mm-hmm. You talk about this a little bit in, in your blog post, but you were good enough to do that. But then when they go to hire somebody for these positions, you'd be overlooked. Yeah. That yeah. must have been hurtful. It was, but also, you know, the programming is fantastic because mm-hmm. you're also trained to be checking yourself all the time. And so for me, if I wanted this and I wasn't getting it, well, it's probably because I'm being prideful. Mm. So you were kind of taught to constantly question yourself, yet it doesn't seem like the leaders that were above you were really questioning a lot of, 
you know, and again, we don't know what's going on inside their heart, but like from what you're seeing, the fruit of it, you're not seeing them doing that same kind of internal questioning of their motives of what they're doing and their behavior. Right. Yeah. Not, not at all. Hmm. And and you even say, and uh, this line is, you know, actually I hadn't heard this before, but gaslight someone and they'll serve for a day, teach them to gaslight themselves and they'll serve forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Powerful. Thanks. Yeah. And, and at this point, you, you know, you did talk about your relationship with Carl. Sound like you guys kind of got along. We did. Yeah. And so, I mean, how would you describe Carl's personality, what he's like? Very charismatic, very charming. Hmm. You know, because I was a stage manager, so I would see him all the time, especially in the early days, because I would be there literally all day. For whatever reason, he just, he liked me. We just clicked. And, you know, for the first few years, it didn't really mean mean anything like I wasn't asking anything of him um but then once I started kind of looking at the dynamics of things like I would start questioning him you know about why aren't more women speaking um where are the people of color and those kind of things and so that was when our relationship kind of took a turn and I just we just became a little more antagonistic um but I think he liked that like and as time went on, I think he was getting less and less of that. And so, especially towards, <laughs> I guess, the end, he would, like, we would just fight about things a lot. And it would be annoying for me. But then at the same time, I just felt kind of bad for him. Because I was like, I think, I think he likes me because I am one of the only people that kind of push back on him. Like, because he really was just surrounded by yes men. And as nice as that must be, it must also feel incredibly fake. Like kind of when you ask your husband whether you've gained weight and he goes, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, you wouldn't tell me the truth no matter what. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's like I, I'm sure there was something that he appreciated about somebody who would tell him the truth and yeah. would, would push back. The person I spoke to this morning, she said to me, that there was some catchphrases at Hillsong. And I think there's one that, that we've kind of touched on, but one was, don't be offended. Mm-hmm. What did that mean? <laughs> don't be offended. Like if something happens to you or someone's not treating you right, or they have offended you, don't be offended. Like it's, that's on, that's on you. Mm-hmm. Like you need to deal, check your heart. That was another phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically just get over it and keep, keep it moving. Hmm. I mean, there's there can be a good thing to that. I mean, Proverbs says that a wise man overlooks small offenses. Yet at the same time, there's also something to be said to keeping short accounts. And if something bothers you, you need to talk about it. If something doesn't look right in the leadership or if you see maybe potential wrongdoing or wrong attitudes, sinful attitudes, you need to confront it. And yet this yeah. doesn't seem like an environment where that was invited. No, not at all. Yeah. The source I talked to this morning talked about something called the velvet rope culture. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah. So it's very much like, you know, Hillsong (laughs) Hillsong is like an exclusive club. Hmm. Um, And there are some areas that everybody can go to. And then there are restricted areas. And only the the chosen could go there. Um, And, you know, there were different levels. So, I mean, everyone was welcome out in the main main auditorium 
Um, and then the first checkpoint, I guess the first kind of rope would have been, you know, getting into the backstage area. Mm-hmm. Um, or even out, out in the auditorium, there were also, you know, the reserved seating section. Um, so that, that was a velvet rope because at least the first three rows and, you know, depending on what was happening and who was coming, that could be extended out to ridiculous lengths, um, would be, you know, just exclusive. Not just anyone could sit there. Like you had to have a reserved seat and be invited. Like at one point there's like nine services at Hillsong. Yeah. It was to the point where people were waiting in in lines for hours, is this right, to get into Mm -hmm. the service? Yeah. And yet, if you were part of this Velvet Rope Club, you could come in even partway through the service and just walk right in and take a seat, you know, and there's people out there waiting for hours, but you just just waltz right in and and sit down. Is that right? Yep. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, it's, it's stunning to me because Jesus talked so much about not showing partiality. And Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And he said that whoever wants to be the greatest must be the least. Mm -hmm. I mean, while you're seeing this, I mean, you're reading the Gospels and seeing one type of ethic taught by Jesus. And then you're seeing people who are talking a lot about Jesus, yet don't seem to be living according to this ethic that he taught. At what point did you just start going, this isn't adding up? The reserved seating thing was an issue, honestly, from the beginning. Hmm. Um, that was something that was just so, so blatant. But that was one of the things that got on the list of okay, we're just we're just we're just figuring things out. And you know, this church just grew way faster than we expected it to, and so we're just playing catch up. And once we you know get a handle on this, things will get better, and we can we can deal with like those small things then. By the time we get to year two, we get to year three, like these things are already embedded in the culture. And so we see it, but we really don't even see it anymore. The frog in the kettle. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I said, there were never not problems. There was Mm -hmm. always something else to deal with. And, you know, this, this is already in place and people are used to it now. And... I mean, celebrities are people too, right? And they do need their space and they do need their privacy and they don't want to be bothered. And is it really that bad? So for me, a lot of it kind of like came down to a math problem. It was like, okay, Hillsong is doing so much good. So these little things that I don't like or that don't seem right, in the scheme of things, Hillsong is doing enough good to outweigh that. Yeah. Every church or religious organization, Christian organization I've reported on where there's been wrongdoing, that is always the justification. It's like, well, there's so much good. And right. and so that outweighs the bad. And so we'll we'll just go on with it. Like, I don't know biblically. I, I don't see it in scripture. It seems like sin is sin and you always call it out and you deal with it. Mm-hmm. But that has become sort of, I would say, the great evangelical rationalization, where it's like, well, it's so much good, you know. And, and even when I report on things, I get so much pushback because <laughs> people are like, you're destroying your, the church. And I'm like, right. no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm reporting right. what's happening. Yeah. The leaders are destroying the church. Yeah. Their actions are destroying the church. I'm just the messenger. Right. But we shoot the messengers. And, and when you spoke <laughs> up, <laughs> you, you, you got... Um, you know, a a good bit of that. Actually, the source I talked to, she told me that people would get hired. A lot of the times you'd have extraordinarily qualified volunteers who Mm -hmm. were running the thing. 
Um, but the people that would get hired would often be the ones that were the good friends of the leaders. She compared it to kind of like a bunch of frat boys running an organization. Did, did you feel that way? Yeah. Do you think that's a fair characterization? Absolutely. Yeah. Huh. And a catchphrase that was used a lot that she told me about is favor isn't fair. <laughs> Interpret that yeah. for us. Favor isn't fair. Favor isn't fair. Like God chooses who God's going to choose. And it's just not fair. And because, again, at the end of the day, it's all grace, right? It's not about works. You can't work for this. And so, you know, along with that, the other catchphrase that I have grown to hate, hmm. um, you know, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So you overlook a qualified person for a position, put somebody else in there and justify it mm -hmm. with God will qualify you for it. Yeah, because favor ain't fair. So it was very much, I mean, everybody recognized this was happening. Yeah, it's all couched under this. This is this is God's will. Like God is making these decisions. God is telling us who to pick. You can't really fight with that. I mean, God told him. Yeah, I mean, God I, told him, so. I remember when I was in ministry, that was like the one argument that when people would say, well, God told me, I'd just be like, no, mm -mm. You, I, you know, I can't even discuss that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like it. It just ends the conversation because mm -hmm. whew, <laughs> what can you say? Yeah. What can you say? <laughs> <laughs> How about this one? You belong because you choose to belong. What does that mean? Well, yeah, because it was such an exclusive culture. And so you would feel for many reasons, you know, you would feel like an outcast or you feel like I, I don't belong here. Um, and so, you know, they would flip that way. You're not supposed to get your validation from anyone else. And if you feel like you don't belong, that's on you because you belong if you want to belong. Yeah. This is spiritual abuse. Oh, yeah. Now it's clear. But at the time, it's just spiritual. Mm. And you don't see when you're in it, this is being used to manipulate you. People are taking the word of God and twisting it to manipulate you to get what they want. Right. Well, what about corruption or about just now we know there were multiple adulterous mm -hmm. affairs or at least sexual misconduct on Carl Lentz's part? You never saw anything like that. No, not personally, no. Hmm. I remember I did hear um, a friend of a friend used to kind of hang out with him and had kind of mentioned, oh, like Carl, Carl is different on the road. And like now I look at it, I'm like, why was I not more bothered by it? Um, why was I just kind of like, eh? Um, but also at the same time, like knowing Carl was getting caught out for just dumber, dumber stuff. Like, you know, people had seen him smoking hmm. um, or, you know, drinking or like throwing tantrums at, you know, someone's wedding. But then a lot of that, you know, it was like, oh, He's he's not perfect. Like you're supposed to have grace for your leaders and you're supposed to cover your leaders. What about, you know, expecting spiritual maturity out of your leaders and them to be, like Scripture says, above reproach? Um, I mean, it just sounds like the standards were so low. Well, yeah. And, you know, Hillsong is known for a lot of things, but it's not <laughs> particularly theological. Hmm. Um, it's not it's not deep. Hmm. So a lot of their shortfalls, like they would turn that back on you and that's on you to make this to make this work. Um, but at the end of the day, there's not a lot of spiritual 
you know, her theological depth. No, I do wish Hillsong was more honest about itself in a lot of ways, but like it is a very seeker friendly place. Mm -hmm. And it, it is great probably for maybe the first year or two, but I wish they would be more honest about the fact that no, you actually should outgrow this place because it's not, you're not going to find more depth than this. So you ended up leaving, what, about three years ago? Yeah, 2017. Okay. Yeah. Was that kind of the point of your journey? You were becoming, you know, ex-evangelical, felt like you just spiritually weren't sure where you were at? Looking back now, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was definitely the beginning of it. But at the time, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, it really had to do with, with the racial disparities. It has started bothering me bother me a lot probably in like 2015 mm -hmm. um, and, and because there are so many people of color in the Hillsong doing so much of the work and just forever being relegated to the background mm -hmm. and so seeing you know married white male after married white male and their wives you know ascending in leadership um, and you know forever being told well this is this is the choice God has made God has chosen this God has chosen this so then I had to kind of take a step back for myself and be like, okay, this really bothers me. It doesn't seem to bother them. So like, God, I need to figure out if this bothers you. Like, <laughs> because I need to, like, I just need to settle this for myself um, because I can't, this, this has become an issue between me and God because if you really created this, vast and wild and wonderful world with all of these different types of people. And yet every time you're putting someone in leadership, you, you just always put your hand on this one very particular type of person. I have an issue with that because <laughs> that just doesn't seem right to me. Um, and so then I started reading more books and looking into more things. And at the end of the day, the conclusion I came to, I was like, Oh no, I do think God does care about this. And this place is never, it's not going to change. And so for me, it's just not healthy. Like this place is actually damaging, damaging kind of my self-esteem and the way that I see myself. Mm. So I need to go somewhere where I can see myself. And at that time, because when you're in Hillsong, Hillsong becomes your world. Um, and this is pretty much all you know of church. Um, and, you know, Hillsong is the best. They're telling you that all the time. Um, and you believe it to a certain extent. So I didn't even know if what I was looking for was out there, but I knew I just couldn't be there anymore. Hmm. So I just, I just had to take a risk and say, okay, I think, I don't know if it exists, but I have to, I have to try to find it at least. And I'm guessing like your whole group of friends and everything was, was connected with Hillsong. So it was kind of like starting over. Yeah. I could have left just as easily probably in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, and so the last year, the last year I was there probably had more to do with my, my ego, man, do I want to give up being at the top of this ladder? Like I'm not at the top. Like I, I still have places I can't go and things that I can't do, but I'm not at the bottom. Um, you know, do I want to lose my place online? Because, you know, Man, what if what if breakthrough was just around the corner? Yeah. Well, and there there is an extent to which we have to be, you know, we're not going to find a perfect church, but at the same time we need to recognize abuse 
and and corruption. When when this came out that Carl Lentz had these multiple affairs, mm-hmm. how did how did that play out? So it was shocking, like, oh, especially because, you know, everyone found out about it first from Brian's email. Mm-hmm. And and that was just really surprising because I had never seen someone be like dealt with so harshly just out of the gate like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that was like, oh, that's weird that that he's being handled, handled this way. Um, but then when it all came out, like what it was and oh, he's having an affair. Um, I didn't know that was happening. But again, I wasn't at no point was like, no, not Carl. There have been a number of other people who have resigned. We we mentioned that uh, before, Reed and Jess Bogard. They mm-hmm. left New York City, went to L.A. for a while, but ended up in, in Dallas. Was that shocking to you or surprising when they just resigned? Uh, yes. I will put resigned in air quotes. Like, I, I'm very dubious that they willingly walked away um, because they are were such loyal soldiers. So the conspiracy theory side of me says, no, this investigation has turned up some stuff that has made them unpalatable. And so they have been asked to step down, is my thought. But you don't have any inside knowledge on any of that at this point? No, not not beyond just knowing <laughs> what kind of people they were and and apparently still are because like I I talk about them in the blog post but I didn't name them outright mm-hmm. um because you know when I wrote it at that point like I hadn't seen them in know, six seven years and so you know I was trying to give the benefit of the doubt I'm like you know what they may have changed like we were all we were mm-hmm. all immature and you know we're all different people now mm-hmm. so I'm not going to call them out because they may be different I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I got so many messages and so many people who knew exactly who they were and had stories of their own throughout the years. More recent. Yeah. From the time that they left until present day. So, yeah, apparently they they have not changed. And so from that side of things, I'm like, well, I can understand how many stories Hillsong has probably heard about them. Well, we'll see. I will say I talked to a source who said once Reed and Jess got out of New York City that they reverted back to their their former selves. I don't know if that's true. Was New York, some have said that New York was kind of the Hillsong culture on steroids, that other parts of Hillsong Global didn't have this much of a, some of the bad boy stuff that that Carl did, some of the great disparity between the haves and have-nots. Did you feel that way, having been in Sydney and then coming, you know, your experience in New York, that New York was worse than other Hillsongs or just indicative of the whole thing? I think it's indicative of the whole thing. I Mm -hmm. think not just New York, like it's in Sydney, like these disparities between, yeah, the haves and the have-nots. I don't know any, any Hillsong lead pastor that is living at the same level as like the average person they're preaching to weekly. They're all above. Man, and I just I just can't understand how you can read the Gospels and see the way Jesus lived and the way that he taught and live like that. I don't, but it, it's, it is completely rife throughout evangelicalism with celebrity pastors and megachurches. It, it's, and it's not just Hillsong. It's, yeah. it's a lot of other churches and ones that would, that would be very surprising to people, I think, 
um, because we have anti-prosperity preachers who are living a level of prosperity <laughs> that would just, you know, absolutely shock people. So, wow. Um, recently, there also was, I mean, it does seem like these Hillsong pastors are falling like flies. Um, <laughs> Blaze and Desiree Robertson resigned mm -hmm. from Hillsong, Connecticut. They mm -hmm. turned up now at another church in Connecticut and their their social media. It's like <laughs> they've scrubbed the thing like they didn't exist at Hillsong. Yeah. What do you make of that? Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that actually happened pretty quickly. Like their their position at this, this church, like that's new. I think that's happened in the last week or two. Right. But once Carl went down and then... You know, the press was doing it a little bit, you know, oh, he was unfollowed by Justin Bieber. And so the press was looking at it from that kind of aspect. But a lot of us who went to Hillsong and were from Hillsong, like we were looking at it, you know, closer, like, ooh, you know, are Blaze and Death still following him? So like their their profiles got wiped like within that first week. Huh. So I didn't know, you know, where they had gone or what they were doing. I still don't know whether they resigned or whether they were fired. Like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, are they still friends with Carl? Are they not, you know, I don't know. But I know that their profiles were gone within two weeks at the most. So Janice, now there's a third party, supposedly investigation <laughs> that's looking into wrongdoing and misconduct at Hillsong. Do you mm -hmm. think that this investigation will yield any results? No. And like, this is not an independent investigation. They said it was, but, you know, as far as like Jess and Reed, I'm sure stuff came out of the investigation for that. Um, but I think they did not mean for it to really affect anything. You know, the, the email they gave people to contact for the independent investigator is, you know, Darren Kiddo at Hillsong.com. Whoa. And then from there, he will pass it on to the, the law firm. You're kidding me. It's the, <laughs> wait, help me understand this. So for you to get to the investigator, not only mm -hmm. are you not anonymous, but you're going through a filter who's a Hillsong person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is yeah. unbelievable. If it's going through your guy, it's not independent. And so I know, you know, a few people who who were contacted by Darren Kiddo, you know, to see if basically asking, oh, can we pass this on to onto the lawyers? And basically, for me, it felt kind of manipulative and basically like making people afraid because the person was asking the question, oh, like, can I be in trouble for being part of this? Um, because they were someone who was like part of the count team. So whatever they wanted to say had something to do, you know, with the money of the church. And so they were afraid, you know, well, if I continue with this, can I possibly be in trouble? And so, you know, I think that's probably happening a lot that Hillsong is reaching out first to, to kind of be like, oh, are you, can we can we say this to lawyers? Are you sure you want to, you know, take mm. this forward? Um, so I think they're being very selective and what's getting to the investigators. Hmm. Unreal. And again, it's being done by law firm, as I understand. Law firms have fiduciary responsibility to their client. And mm -hmm. my guess is the report will not be made public. It will 
be given to Hillsong, and then they can decide what they want to make public. Yeah. I'm not holding my breath on that. I guess the question that a lot of people in evangelicalism are asking right now, I know the question I'm asking right now is I'm looking at this, you know, what looks like just this huge dumpster fire of Hillsong, <laughs> um, is, is this salvageable? Is this something? And, and you know, even talking to my source today, like, is this salvageable? Can, you know, now that it's been exposed, can this be disinfected? Can this be cleaned out? What's what's your opinion on that? Is is Hillsong worth saving or is this something that needs to just come down and let's just start new churches? Let's just start clean. I mean, I, and I know you're coming from a, a standpoint <laughs> spiritually that is is probably looking at this very differently than than I would be looking at it or but at the same time I, I think the question of of the corruption in the culture and all that can it be changed mm-hmm. i mean obviously god can do anything but i mean what do you think can it be salvaged and if it can like what needs to happen i mean i think it could in the sense that like you said with god all things are possible mm-hmm. but i don't will it be saved i don't think so and i don't think it can in the sense that brian and bobby I don't believe want to do want to do what it would take to fix it. Like it would basically have to just overhaul the the culture. I don't think they they're interested in doing that at all. Like the culture works for them. And so, you know, I listened to a few a few of your episodes, you know, with like Wade Mullen mm-hmm. and then oh, I can't remember her name, but you know, she was talking about you know, basically apologies. Julia Dahl yeah. maybe? Yeah. So breaking down those apologies. And so looking at it from that perspective, like if you look at the things like Brian Houston has said throughout this ordeal, Mm. like he's taken no responsibility, no accountability for any of this, you know, in the, the leaked audio of that meeting Mm -hmm. um, and towards the end, you know, when Bobby is talking about, you know, the Hillsong culture and, you know, people are saying things, but you know, if it's not, if it's not Christ-like, it's not our culture. And, you know, basically, you know, things, things are fine. That's not us. That was New York. Um, And, you know, and I've got various inboxes full of people Mm -hmm. from across the world and Hillsongs across the world saying, no, this is the culture. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they are not willing to admit at all, you know, that this is a churchwide culture issue. Um, The fact that Brian takes no accountability for anything that has happened in New York. Like it's all Carl Lentz. Carl did this. He built this culture. He was the problem. Yeah. To me, like it just says they don't, they don't want to fix it. Like they want it to go on as it is. Hmm. Um, so from that perspective, no, it can't be fixed. It needs repentance uh, at the top. You need to see Bobby and Brian repenting yeah. and admitting how they created this culture. Yeah. And I'm guessing from what you've told me of how all the pastors are living, they're living at a pretty high standard too. Oh, oh, the highest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for them, you know, it's, it really would take a a strip down of the entire culture and it would just require a level of sacrifice from them that they don't want to make. Well, Janice, I just want to thank you for being a part of this podcast and for taking the time and uh, again, for, for your honesty. So thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. 
Well, and thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's, and if you'd like to find me online, just go to julieroy's, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Also, make sure you subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you help us spread the word about the podcast by leaving a review. And then if you could share the podcast on social media, we'd appreciate that as well. Again, thanks so much for joining me. Hope you have a great day and God bless.